This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We have made it all the way to Genesis chapter four. Can you believe that? It's good to to finally reach Genesis chapter four. We've got a lot of great, great stories to go through. In fact, to tell you the truth, I am, I'm excited about going through the rest of Genesis. I realize that a lot of people don't even know all the stories of Genesis and, uh, and don't know the, the, the deep, the deep spiritual significance of those stories because God is beginning to work his plan in men. And we have that plan and we have also an understanding God opening our eyes and allowing us to see how we see things, how we do things. And, and how that affects our lives and how that in many ways destroys our lives. And so this story is a story of that. If you want to know the truth, it is, it's a story of Cain and Abel. It's a story of understanding how God views things as far as how he wants things done. So many ways, so many times in so many ways, we, we don't care about the nuance or the things that God asks us, asks from us. And we don't because we don't understand the significance of it. And uh, the significance of it matters because it's, it has an effect on our future. It has effect on how we, how we live. It has its effect on our own psychology and on the living of the life that God has given us. And that's what's happening here with Cain and Abel. It says in verse four, verse one, chapter four, verse one, it says, now Adam and Eve, his wife, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and that's a euphemism for sexual relations, obviously. He says, now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore uh, Cain. Notice that this happens after they're out of the Garden of Eden. It happens after the fall, and, and the, the conception of Cain would not be a conception in their perfect state, in the state they were originally created to be in. It is, it is a, it's a, it's a conception that takes place after they have been spiritually, they have spiritually died and they pass on uh, that spiritual death. We're going to find uh, one day when we're going through the book of Exodus, you're going to see the uh, passage that, that starts our understanding of the 10 commandments says this, the sins of the father are passed to the second, third generation. And then there's the blessing that comes after that. But the grace of, but the grace of God is unto a thousand generations, which means that we get passed on a sin nature, but the grace of God and that sin nature has its effects for some generations. But the grace of God fixes that and solves it forever unto a thousand generations. As we kind of look at this and see this, we understand that Adam and Eve passed on their sin nature to Cain and Abel. And the reason we know that they pass on that sin nature to Cain and Abel is because what happens after this, and this is critical because there, there is a teaching out there that teaches that, that man is born 
are conceived in the womb, naturally good or naturally perfect. And then in their birth, they are sinless. That's not true. For sin is not God. Sin is the knowledge of not God. Sin is the desire for not God. Sin is the heart that seeks after what is not God's will and God's purpose. And we are conceived in our mother's womb having a desire an innate desire to do what we want outside of God's will. And children are born with the same sin nature that their parents have. And by the way, most of the people who want to teach that other thought process are also the people who would be pro-abortion, which seems real strange. If the only human beings that are that ever exist are the ones that are, if the only human beings that ever exist that are not sinless or are not corrupt, are in the womb, why are you trying to kill them? Anyway, but the understanding that comes with understanding that we are passed down our sin nature is critical. And it's critical because it helps you understand why and how you do the things that you do. And and then it allows God to open you up, open your heart up and change those things and begin the process of salvation once he gives you the new birth. And so he says, it says here, that I have acquired a man from the Lord. I love the way she says that. I've acquired a man from the Lord because, well, to tell you the truth, that's the first time that's ever happened. And uh, any of y'all have ever been in the, in the room when a baby is born will understand the wonder of actually childbirth. It is really an amazing event. I was in the room for both my daughters being born, and I'm going to tell you that one of the, one of the most amazing events of my life was seeing my daughters born because it is the process by which children are conceived and born is a wonderful, beautiful thing. And their birth is is powerful and it's life affirming and it's life giving. And I have always, and even though it's painful, even though the curse of sin is there in the midst of it, we understand that even though that's all going on right there in the midst of, in the midst of the birthing process, we do understand that it is the, the time which you begin to move forward uh, autonomous with your life and God begins his work in your life. Well, he actually begins work in conceiving you in your mother's womb. He says, then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. And, and so we have an Abel, Abel's, Abel's name actually means a breath. And so Cain is the firstborn and Abel the secondborn. Now it says, notice that that he gives their what they did occupationally, what they did to, to live, what they did to actually make a living. You have the first economics lesson that goes on right here in the beginning of Genesis chapter four. It says, then she bore again a son named Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. Abel was a keeper of sheep. And, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, this is important too also. As you look at these things, is there anything innately wrong with either one of them? No. But if you symbolically tie them back, if you reach back and tie them back to remember in the in, in the garden when they ate of the fruit of the tree, there was a curse pronounced on man. And that curse that was pronounced on man, that, that curse that bound man up, and uh, had to be broken by the crushing of the serpent's head by the by the seed of woman. That 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 whole curse, that whole idea, that whole understanding uh, revolved around man tilling the ground. That he was going to have to he was going to have to work the ground, and and that working the ground was going to produce fruit that he would he would survive on. Now notice, there's a difference between tilling the ground and tending sheep. Now, I'm not saying either one of them is less work, but tending sheep are the ones 
who produce their own food and their own meat. They eat themselves. They go out and do the hard part. They're much more a symbol of God's grace than tilling the ground because the production of food through tilling the ground is intense physical labor. And until we actually built tractors and machines that made that possible, man produced very little food. A single individual man could produce very little food at one time. And that went on for, well, thousands of years of history. And <clears throat> notice it's tied to it's tied to the labor or the curse that God placed on man in the garden. Now you go, why does that all that matter? It matters for this reason. When you when we get in over into the book of Exodus, we're gonna see that there are two primary types of offerings that God asked for. There are two primary types of offerings that matter to God. And let me tell you something, they're both very important, absolutely important. And their symbology is of the utmost importance, of the greatest importance. One, one offering is called a sin offering. And the other offering is called a fellowship offering. And their nature indicates what type of offering they are. And what I mean by that is this. A sin offering is an offering of an animal for sacrifice. <clears throat> and now it, it, it did involve fellowship because when they brought their animal to the chief priest, and they sacrificed the animal, and they gave God the very best of the animal, which was the fat, and then they cooked that animal, they would eat the rest of it with the priest. They would eat it right there, and, and they would have fellowship with the priest, which is a picture of having fellowship with Jesus. But remember, it starts off with the, the sacrifice of that animal and the shedding of blood. And you need to understand that is the first sacrifice the primary sacrifice, the most important sacrifice, because it is the way we retrieve or regain or get back to the original way God made us to be in a relationship with him. It is the method for atoning for sin. It's the method by which we pay for sin. And how is sin paid for? Without the shedding of blood, without the payment of life, there is no forgiveness of sin. For those of y'all who like movies and like cartoons and things like that, Arnia is that story. If you remember Aslan, who is a picture of Jesus, he's the lion. He's the one who is, who is the king of all. And the wicked witch, who is a picture of the devil, she even is afraid of him. But when, the, when, one, when one of the princes, he sins, and how does he sin? What he does is he, he undermines or he, he gives to the, to the witch. He hears the witch and she tempts him, and, and he is a rebel against God or against Aslan. And when they come to talk about it, Aslan understands that the only way for him to save the prince is there has to be a sacrifice. And that sacrifice ultimately is going to be the lion in that movie. That is a great symbology of ultimately all the sacrifices of the Old Testament are pictures of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There must be the giving of perfect human life in order to save humanity. And Jesus is the perfected, he's the perfect human. He is 100% God and 100% man, and he is the perfect sacrifice. And he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so understanding that Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground, it doesn't matter what your job is. You've got to do things in the right direction. Now, are there sacrifices that were made that were of fruit or grain or things like that? 
Absolutely. There were bread sacrifices, grain sacrifices, fruit sacrifices. There were sacrifices of vegetables and things like that, that were made. But now you need to understand that those sacrifices are fellowship sacrifices. They're sacrifices of fellowship. They're a lot like inviting your friend over and cooking a meal or preparing a meal for them. It's a time of fellowship. It's a time of coming together. It's a time of eating. And in fact, eating in the Bible is the primary symbol of fellowship. Remember when they were in the upper room, Jesus said, I've desired to have this time with you. Why? Because it was a time of great fellowship right before a time of great sacrifice. And so he looked forward to that, that opportunity, that, that important moment where he would meet with them, where that he would ultimately have fellowship with them before he goes and does the thing that, that makes that fellowship ultimately possible for eternity, that fellowship with the disciples up in that upper room. And it doesn't matter what you do. That being said, things have to be done in the right order. And it says, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected or Lord looked upon Abel's offering. That's what the word respected means. It means he gazed at, he considered it, he looked upon it, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very anger, angry, and his countenance fell. I, <clears throat> so what's happened here? What's happened here is we obviously already know, and they already knew, that the first and primary sacrifice that had to be made had to be a blood sacrifice. It had to be a sacrifice of life. It had to be a giving of life. That's why even Jesus, the passage that we've been dealing with in Mark chapter 8 and on into Mark chapter 9, that has to do with take up your cross and follow me. In order for there to be true fellowship, there has to be life sacrifice. There always has to be, uh, because that is the payment of sin. That is the price for sin. The wages of sin is death. That's the price that it, that it costs. And, but the gift of God is eternal life. And how is that? Through the final sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? It's through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So even though the wages of sin and death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that has to be the first thing. And <clears throat> it's important that you understand that. During our worship service, I don't know if you know this or not, but our worship service is designed to, to mirror that picture of entering into the gates of the temple and going up and doing the things that they did on their way to the Holy of Holies. They enter the gates with thanksgiving and the courts with praise, and we always open up with a great praise song, a great chorus where we're singing, where we're excited, where we're entering thanksgiving and praise to God, where we're recognizing that even though we have not been perfect, He is perfect. Even though we've not been good, He is good. Even though we've not done all the things that are necessary for us to have a meeting with him. He has done everything necessary to have a meeting with him. And we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his course of praise because of that. Then we pass by this giant pool of water. It's a lavern, they call it. It's a giant pool of water where they used to wash. And that's why as we sing, we begin to move toward more intimate songs where you begin to consider what God is saying and you're worshiping and your emotion is touching God. And, uh, and you're preparing yourself for sacrifice in all actuality, because what are we doing? We're washing with the word. We're washing in that water. And the worship songs that we use are scriptural and they're biblical. And we understand that we begin to wash ourselves and prepare ourselves. And what do we prepare ourselves for? We prepare ourselves for the next, the next place you go to as you enter in. And that's the place of sacrifice. And who is being sacrificed? 
Well, Jesus has already been sacrificed once and for all, so we don't need that. What is important for us to sacrifice in order for us to enter into his presence and to have fellowship with him? The important thing that must be sacrificed as we enter into that fellowship is who? Us. And if you'll notice, when I pray, I speak of, you know, even though we're given of our finances at that time, it's more important that we're given of ourselves, that we are sacrificed, that we're taking up our cross and following Jesus. And so that's what's going on as we have that time, that first altar call time, because it's a time of going to the altar and making ourselves a sacrifice to him. And then after we've done that, after we've done that, we enter into the outer courts where there are two, two, two items there. On the right, there is the menorah where, where the oil lights the room up. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit, a shining light in the room. And on the other side is the showbread, which is the bread of life. And notice we've gone from a life sacrifice outside. And generally speaking, when they would enter the temple, they would offer their sacrifice there. And that's where they would sacrifice the animal. And that's where they would cook it and have fellowship right there. Then they would enter into the inner courts. And in the inner courts is where God shines his light on the word, which is Jesus Christ. And in that shining of that light on that word, we have a fellowship offering. That's where we are eating of the bread of life. We're having that grain offering or that intimate fellowship with him where we find out God's will and his purpose, where we learn of his ways and who he is, where we learn of his purposes for our own life, where we learn how to walk in that in those things. If you'll notice, that's what we do during the sermon. We're there fellowshipping about the word of God. We're there talking about what God has to say to us. And we're considering those things and we're eating that bread. And sometimes the preacher's doing a good job and sometimes the preacher's not doing a good job. But no matter whether he's doing a good job or not doing a good job, the word of God should always be the focus of it. And if the word of God is the focus of it, then in the middle of it, in the middle of all that word of God being the focus of it, in the middle of it, you're having fellowship with God. You and God or have an intimacy. Even though God's there in the congregation, he's there with you also. And so that's the importance of the difference between the life or the blood sacrifice and the fellowship sacrifice. They're both important, if you'll notice in the process, because once you get through of eating his bread and having that fellowship with him, you enter into the Holy of Holies to receive the very power of God. You, and that's the second altar call. That's the time where you hear God's word, you believe, you receive it, you believe it and you act upon it and you tell God, I, you promise it and you go to the altar and tell God that you're going to take that and you're going to walk in it and you're going to have it in its fullness. So you hear it, you receive it, you believe it and you act upon it. And that's where, and that's where the power comes in. And that's where what happens at the Holy of Holies. That's where you literally talk. That's where you literally touch the eternal, that place right above, right above the cherub's wings, that propitiation point, which is literally where the physical and the eternal touch. That's what happens when you go through that process. Cain, Cain wanted to just immediately go to fellowship and not have a sacrifice. Cain wanted to immediately go to the bread offering and not have the sacrificial offering of the blood that require that is required in order for that relationship to God with God to be. And let me tell you something. A lot of churches want to do that. We want to be seeker sensitive. We don't want to, we don't want to upset people. We don't want to cause people to be put in a place where they are perplexed or have to make a decision. Well, let me tell you something. There's no way, there's no way God could ever bring about 
life change in somebody until he gets them to, them to the place where they have to choose to walk in the life he's provided or continue in the death they've been living in. And there's no way in that place where that happens has to be, it has to take place. You can't come face with the Holy God and be comfortable. You can't come face to face with the Holy God and not deal with the actuality of your sin, the actuality of your transgressions, and how God would have you be changed by him and by his finished work through Jesus Christ. You, with, without there being a time of actual dealing with God, how can you actually have a relationship with God? I know we live in a time where I'm perplexed by young men who think that they can have a relationship with a girl by texting with her. That's just not going to work. You're going to have to actually talk to the girl. You're going to have to actually go in there and, and get to know her and have a relationship with her. And the only way for that to happen is to do it face to face. I'm perplexed by Christianity who wants to be able to have a relationship with God that all involves total fun, total fellowship, total eating of his word, but there's no struggle. There's no struggle with sin. The first thing that has to happen is the struggle with sin. And that's why God looked on Cain's sacrifice and he didn't look on Cain's sacrifice because the first sacrifice, the most important sacrifice has not been made. And that was the sacrifice of life. And you can't have fellowship with God. You cannot have fellowship with God unless you first, I mean, listen to me. Jesus said, if any of you want to come after me, which means to walk with me in fellowship. If any of you wants to come after me, he must first do what? Take up his cross and follow me. Must take up his cross and follow me. And there's really no, there's no other way around it. We live in a world where there's many ways to God. No, there's not. There's only one. He is the gate. It's Jesus Christ. That's the only way in. And he is the one that tells you the way because he is the way. And he says, if any of you would come after me, you must take up his cross and follow me because the first sacrifice has to be the sacrifice of life. And that sacrifice of life produces life eternal. Without it, we are nothing. Without Jesus's initial sacrifice, his finished work, we're nothing. Without us giving of our own heart, repenting from our own ways and turning to him, we are nothing. And so that is the biblical reason <clears throat> why God looked upon and received Cain's sacrifice, but Abel's sacrifice, but on Cain's, he did not. Because Cain wanted to have fellowship with God without giving of himself and giving of the life that is required. And you're just never going to have true fellowship with God until you first give of yourself. What a good message, because now we know the way, we understand the way. And I'm glad I was taught that. I'm glad I've received that understanding. And I'm glad I pastor a church of people who desire that also. That, that makes it a whole lot easier to be a pastor, to pastor a group of people who understand the importance of sacrifice and the importance of giving of yourself to God so that we might receive the full power of his kingdom among us. And I'm looking forward to many more times together studying God's word, fellowshipping and eating at his altar because sacrifice has been made sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us and us giving of ourselves to him so that we might be intimate and might know him. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.